0: Good morning. How are you guys today? It's good to see you. Thanks for coming up. Today, we're talking about the fact that Jesus is our Good Shepherd. And it's important to remember what we've talked about recently. So, a few weeks ago, we talked about how Jesus died on a cross for the sins of the whole world. But it's also very important to remember that He did not stay dead, He rose from the dead. We celebrated that on Easter Sunday, and we've been celebrating that every week since. And one of the reasons that it's so important that Jesus is not dead but alive right now is the fact that he calls himself the good shepherd. Because the fact that Jesus is alive right now means he is shepherding us right now. He's alive so that he can continue to be our good shepherd. Now, Psalm 23, we just sung a few minutes ago, It's a pretty famous part of God's word. A lot of people have heard it many, many times. You guys are young, so maybe you haven't heard it too many times. I'm going to read it to you quickly. And I want you to notice something. The beginning and the end talk about nice things. But in the middle, it talks about some hard things. Jesus talks about how our lives can be challenging in the middle. Take a listen. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. Here's the hard stuff. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Here's more good stuff. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. See, in the middle, Jesus was telling us that there's going to be dark, hard times. Jesus was telling us that there's evil in the world. And Jesus tells us that we have enemies. The fact that Jesus is our good shepherd does not mean that there will be no hard days. There will be hard days. Just because Jesus is our good shepherd, that does not mean that there's no longer danger and evil around. There is danger and there is evil. And just because Jesus is our good shepherd does not mean that we will never experience those things. In fact, he wants us to know we will. But he wants us to know that all the time, as danger surrounds us, as death comes and impacts our life, even on the hardest of days, Jesus wants us to know he is there guiding us through this life toward the eternal pastures of our heavenly home. Today, we're going to focus particularly on the hard stuff. That Jesus shepherds us even when life is hard. There's good news in that, too. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we thank you for telling us the truth. We thank you for being honest with us. We thank you for telling us that sometimes life will be very, very hard, that sometimes there will be dark days with lots of pain. Help us to remember that you are always there with us, living and active, our good shepherd, guiding us through the pain of this life, to our eternal home, where we will never suffer again. In your name we pray. Amen. The portion of God's word that we'll focus our attention on for a little while this morning comes from 1 Peter chapter 2. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. This is the word of our God. God. Let's pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our risen Redeemer. Amen. What do you think it would be like to be a a slave in someone's house? I suppose it would mean you'd be washing someone else's dishes, doing someone else's laundry, scrubbing someone else's floors. I suppose it would mean you'd be mowing someone else's lawn and painting someone else's walls, caring for someone else's property. I'm not quite sure why our lesson doesn't include verse 18, but verse 18 tells us who these words are Addressed to. Take a listen. Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. I think there's a lot of people in our culture who, if they heard that verse out of context, or probably even in context, they would just write off the rest of the Bible. Right? Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. There's a lot of concern about injustice in our culture today. Right? Lots of concern about injustice. And and right here, God, through Peter, is telling people who are actually slaves to endure injustice, to bear up under it. A lot of people would write this off as a source of truth for that reason alone. But that would be a shame. Because this whole section speaks to us about what it's like to endure, under, to endure life under injustice. And so I suppose maybe you you wonder, well, I don't consider myself a slave, so what does this mean to me? Before we move on, I I think it'd be healthy just for us to acknowledge one aspect of reality in our current culture, culture that we all live in. In the fall of 22, there was a report that came out that estimated that 80% of the current working class, all working Americans, 80%, have problematic levels of debt right now. They were counting student loans, medical bills, and credit cards. 80%. That was stunning to me. Could it be said that 80% of the working men and women in America today are slaves to debt? Another interesting statistic, same period of time, fall of 22, 60% of working class Americans report to be living paycheck to paycheck. It means they're actually waiting for the next paycheck to be able to do what they need to do. Does that mean that at least 60% of American workers are slaves to their job? I suppose... Some might say, well, their beating is earned. They've earned the situation that they're in by irresponsible financial habits. Maybe. Is it possible that it's been a result of injustice? Is it possible that Many Americans in this situation have been taken advantage of by the medical industry or taken advantage of by unfair lending practices. Sure. Before we write off the fact that anyone in this room could possibly be a slave, chew on that. But even if you wouldn't fall into those statistics, even if you don't live paycheck to paycheck, even if you have no debt at all, how do you handle injustice? There's a very interesting um, grammatical thing that's happening in the beginning of our text. It's called a chiasm. It comes from the, the Greek letter he, which is like our X. So if you could picture in your mind a, a big capital X and then you fold it in half, what happens? Well, the right side just goes on top of the left side, right? They, they match well, in literature, a chiasm is when the beginning and the end are the same. You could fold it in half, and the beginning and the end are exactly the same. In verses 19 and 20, we see the word commendable. The word commendable shows up right at the very beginning of verse 19, and then it shows up right at the very end of verse 20. That's a translation of the Greek word for grace. And so you could literally read this, for it is grace to you if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is grace before God. You can probably understand why many translations have chosen not to use the word grace there. This word can mean a lot of different things but grace's standard definition is undeserved love. We might think to ourselves, well, how does that work? How is it undeserved love for us if we suffer for doing good? How is that to our good? How is that to our benefit? Well, I'd make an argument here that it would actually be wise to translate this grace. Because Peter's point is that it is a blessing for you and a blessing for me to be able to follow in the footsteps of Jesus and suffer in the same way that he did, unjustly. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered... He made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Was it just for Jesus to suffer the way he did? Well, it depends on your perspective. On the one hand, absolutely not. Jesus had done nothing wrong. He had done nothing to deserve the kind of treatment he earned. He had done nothing to get the beating. He had done nothing to deserve the crucifixion. He had done nothing to deserve the agonies of hell suffered on the cross. He had done nothing to deserve death. And yet he endured it, and he endured it willingly. He entrusted himself to the hands of the one who judges justly. And that's when we hear the quote, By his wounds you have been healed. And why is that? Because in his body he bore our sins. And so in that sense, it was just. Because our sins were placed upon him, more than that, because he was treated as though he had committed our sins, this was just. The big fancy theological term for this is substitutionary atonement. The fact that Jesus is our substitute, that he literally switched places with you and me, that he willingly endured what my sins deserve, what your sins deserve, so that you and I could be treated the way he deserves to be treated. Think about that. That's an incredible truth, that Jesus was willing to switch places with you and I So that by his wounds we could be healed, so that we could be treated as he has rightly earned to be treated. Every moment of his life, from birth to the cross, he never once sinned. He rightly earned glory and honor, and now he gives that to you and to me. That's incredible news. But as people who have switched places with Christ, we now also have the privilege of following in his footsteps, and that means the privilege, the grace, the honor, of suffering in the same way that he suffered. That's easier said than done. I don't know what kind of wrongs you've endured lately, Maybe you got a bill in the mail. And you looked at it, you're like, there's no way. I won't say who it might have possibly been from. You look at it, and right away, where's the billing number? You're on the phone. What's your goal? I know what mine would be. This wrong must be made right. There's no way this can stand. You lived that lately? When you and I are treated unjustly, how quick are we to want to, to right the wrong? How quick are we to say, I, I cannot endure this injustice, not even for a moment? I know my heart. I'm guessing you know yours. This is why Jesus' substitutionary atonement means so much for you and for me. We are so often unwilling to put up with injustice. We are unwilling to suffer any kind of wrong. We need vengeance. We need retribution. We need it fixed. But Christ, he was willing to endure what our sins deserve so that we could be treated as he has rightly earned the right to be treated. This is a remarkable thing. It changes the way we look at injustice because we also can put our ha- ourselves in the hands of the one who judges justly and know that if someone is really being that dishonest, if someone really is trying to greedily stick their thumb over the common man so that they can become wealthy, they'll get what they have coming. It's not our job to give retribution. God will take care of justice and he will do so perfectly. We have the privilege of enduring injustice, just as Jesus endured it so that we could be called sons and daughters of God, so that we could be treated with honor and glory. You see, there's this incredible thing, this incredible opportunity that God provides Just as Jesus' suffering of injustice was for good, our good, when we suffer injustice, God is plenty capable of using that for good, too. I recently heard a story from our world mission partners who have been doing a lot of work in Vietnam lately. Maybe you've heard about this. There's a story from one of our Vietnamese pastors in our fellowship who was literally in prison and was literally beaten mercilessly by one of the guards for a long time. Now that guard spends Christmas at the home of that pastor every single year. You know why? He had to learn how it was that this Christian could endure the beating that he took and do it the way that he did. When you suffer injustice, it's unlike anything the world has seen. It gives a little glimpse of Jesus. It leads people to want to know, why are you willing to endure this? And it gives us a chance, as that Vietnamese pastor had an opportunity, to point people to the one who endured the greatest injustice of all for a world full of sinners. We live at a time when many despise injustice. When small groups of people rally together, but really, you know, those groups of people are made up of individuals. They're made up of individuals who are hurting. We have an opportunity to witness to those hurting individuals. In every group, That cries out injustice. We have an opportunity to say to them I know someone who knows your pain more than you could possibly imagine. I know someone who endured the greatest of injustice and who did it for you. I know someone who loves you more than you can possibly imagine who will be with you on the darkest of days, who will shepherd you as surrounded by evil and wickedness, who will bring you to a place where you will never suffer injustice again. The encouragement today is to follow in the steps of Jesus, to follow in the steps of the one who suffered the greatest injustice, so that you and I could be in paradise with him forever. Amen.